Um, and how are you doing for time? I'm okay. No problem. You're okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm at home. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to the EdTech Podcast and this series episode of the VocTech Podcast Learning Continued, which seeks to explore the intersection of adult learning and tech. I'm recording this from our upstairs upstairs room, so if it sounds a bit funny, that's why. I'm hiding up here whilst husband is on homeschooling duties before we swap. And since this has all started, I've noticed my husband has an expansive love of post-it notes, which are currently everywhere. It's like a scene from A Beautiful Mind. But we battle on. A big thank you to the UFI VocTech Trust for supporting this series and supporting the use of technology to deliver training and learning in these unprecedented times. Here's everything you need to know about UFI's VocTech Now grant funding, which has been launched in immediate response to the coronavirus pandemic. Number one, VocTech Now is a new UFI Trust grant funding call prompted by the unprecedented situation vocational trainers and their learners face in 2020. Number two, UFI VocTech Trust are looking to support vocational training providers who need to move to digital delivery methods in order to keep their learners engaged as existing face-to-face delivery models are restricted as a result of COVID-19. Number three, VocTech Now are small grants of between 10k to 25k GBP for projects of up to three months durations that can be quickly deployed to support organisational transition to remote teaching and training. And finally, there's a small entry window. The call for applications opens on Monday, March the 30th. That's today if you're listening as soon as this episode comes out and closes on Monday, April the 6th. For all the details, go to ufi.co.uk. What else? Everything is moving so fast and we hope that you, our listeners, are doing okay in whatever impossible situation you find yourself. Before we begin this week's episode, a few industry messages. First off, our friends at ISTE got in touch to let you all know that they've been working hard to convene two major resources for the international education and technology communities. The first is learningkeepsgoing.org, a coalition of education organisations who've curated free tools, strategies, tips and best practices for teaching online. There are tips for parents, webinars for educators and much more at learningkeepsgoing.org. Uh, And the second one is the educator-led coronavirus response community, which is a place for educators to share their learnings, post and feedback on education during the pandemic. So a sort of uh, blog or back channel, if you will. Both links will be on our show notes and social feeds. Next up, a non-coronavirus item. Before everything kicked off in earnest around the bug, you may have heard that Everfi, which designs and runs online courses for schools, university students and workplaces for more than 30 million learners across the US and Canada, has acquired Edcoms, a London-based communications agency that specialises in education and works with some of the world's largest technology companies, sports leagues and brands. Here's John Chapman, co-founder and president for Global Partnerships for Everfi, to tell us more. Everfi's work has reached more than 30 million learners in the United States and Canada. We are currently tailoring our courses for the UK market so that we can help children, young people, and adults develop the skills they need to be successful in life and in the workplace. It's important that our content meets both the cultural norms of the country and the nuances of interpersonal communication. As our programs are fully digital, 
They will be ready for use in the next several months, some as soon as the end of April and some into the fall. The work of building custom international programs is currently underway and delivery dates are going to vary based on content, the length of the course, and the desired learning outcomes. We are certainly very excited to be able to bring our programs to have an impact on the UK market. Thanks, John. We look forward to seeing how the new phase of Everfy transpires. Turning back to vocational skills and coronavirus, past podcast guest Pierre Debuc of Open Classrooms got in touch to tell us about their latest initiative during this time. Hi, my name is Pierre Debuc. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Open Classrooms, the leading uh, European tech company. We were wondering how to help educational institutions, colleges, universities to transition um, and ensure academic continuity uh, to their students. So last week, we created this initiative um, in which we offer all of our platform, all courses, certificates, or dashboarding tools to track students' progress, or trainings to help teachers transition to online, uh, everything for free to uh, colleges and universities. Uh, we received more than 600 requests from uh, colleges and universities from all over the world. Uh, it's really accelerating. We already cover more than 80,000 students right now. Uh, so you can um, request if you're um, the leader of a university or college, a dean, a vice provost, a director, a president, um, you can make sure that you request us on our academic continuity page on Open Classrooms. Uh, we're here to help. So take care and stay safe. Thanks, Pierre, and stay safe in France too. For more updates and news, check out the Courtar Ear section of the newsletter. OK, on to this week's episode. This week, I'm chatting to Danielle Baril, chairman of the board of the Institute for Lifelong Learning, or UIL, at UNESCO, and director general of the Canadian Institute for Cooperation in Adult Education. This recording was made just prior to the school closures in the UK. In retrospect, you can note by my surprise that in Canada, the educational year will resume in September or October, just how much has happened since. In the few days that follow this recording, we've had the UK in lockdown, school and college closures, and our Prime Minister and heir to the throne have coronavirus. In this time of rapid change, Danielle and I talk about how institutions, health systems or education institutions, etc., are having to adopt an agile approach and move away from the process-driven bottlenecks of the past. We talk about the long-term individual or collective approaches to lifelong learning and moving from mass application to targeted education intervention. This is the first in our episodes looking at the case for Voctec, supported by UFI. Okay, here we go. Cool. So, um, just having a fascinating chat with Danielle Baril, who is uh, chairman of the board of the Institute for Lifelong Learning at UNESCO, and also director general of the Canadian Institute for Cooperation in Adult Education. So, welcome, Danielle. Welcome. Um, a quick bio for our listeners' sake. Danielle Biril has long experience in lifelong learning. In addition to his position at the ICAE, he is a member of the Canadian Commission for UNESCO Education Sector, where he chairs the Working Group on Education and Adult Learning and regularly teaches courses on adult learning at the University of Quebec at Montreal. 
Mr. Burrill has published widely in his field of expertise and has repeatedly contributed to UNESCO education conferences. Uh, finally, UIL is a global centre of excellence in lifelong learning. It provides support to policymakers and builds the capacities of countries to plan and implement lifelong learning policies and programmes. The Institute publishes quality research and monitors progress in lifelong learning around the world, enabling policymakers, researchers, practitioners and representatives of civil society to make lifelong learning a reality for all. So, um, Danielle, um, please could you tell our listeners in your own words who you are and what you do? The, the, the short bio you just, you just referred to highlight the fact that I'm, I'm involved at the Quebec, the Francophone part of Canada, and the Canadian level, and also at the international level in adult education policy development and, and monitoring. Uh, I've been doing that for 20 plus years. And what I could highlight as a characteristic of my experience, it's the fact that I'm traveling across different spheres of adult education, being literacy or community-based adult education or work-related adult education, monitoring of international uh, instrument, normative instrument in adult education. So I've, I've been touching uh, to a lot of different field and topic in adult education. I'm more particularly interested in the, the, the implementation of the right to education beyond mm. the, the, the moral call for a, a right to education and, and the legal dimension of it. There is a lot of system to put into place to make sure that that right is a reality for people and, and learners in their own, uh, uh, their own personal life. And recently, another topic that, that really interested me, it's all those development in matters of uh, different uh, platforms and all that that universe of the fourth industrial revolution and, and, and the digital possibilities that we have right now, how do they change adult learning? And, and that's a topic for the past three years that I've started to document and, and uh, try to have a, a reflection and not lose the beyond the technological dimension of it, not lose the, the humanistic perspective mm. uh, of those tools and how can they be channeled at the service of learners in general and work-based uh, training. Fantastic. Well, there's, there's several points I want to pick up there, but um, before we dive into them, I'm going to put to you uh, something which is the broad topic of this particular episode. So I put here, this episode is about the case for vocational technology um, given your work, what do you see as the case for technological transformation for adult learning and education in the workplace, for skills development, etc.? I feel that the case for the technological transformation of adult learning and education, in a sense, it's been made and imposed by itself. We don't have to argue for it. Uh, by that, I mean that at an empirical level, adult learning and, and, and education has integrated various digital progress and the adult learners themselves are using a wide array of digital based learning provisions. In, in some of my recent work, I've talked about different platforms. The, the MOOC are well known, but even the MOOC are kind of a, an old fashioned model. It's just your, instead of having a teacher or an educator in front of you, uh, in a class, it's just filmed and widely distributed using the internet. So it's kind of the same model, but just using internet as a, uh, a, a system for wider distribution. YouTube, I found, I found it really fascinating 
that uh, an executive uh, director of YouTube said that they numbered one billion of downloading of tutorial hmm. per day. Wow. So it's it's a major platform. It's it's empirically it is part of people's life. Linked learning, and there's various learning platforms that kind of structure themselves as personalized learning environment, and, and we see a, a lot of them. And, and there's all kind of um, uh, virtual tutors and development. So to me, technologically, and in, in more and more in, in in learners' practices, the case has been heard. It is there. And we start more and more to, to see also at the pedagogical level a, a, a deep transformation of models and strategy. Right now, it's, it's, it's a given that learning could be on-site, online, or blending both, mm. that learning activities could be structured or spontaneous. They could be institutionalized or experiential. They could be distributed through long program, micro-learning format. It could be provided by either a, a recognized, uh, officially recognized uh, teacher or trainer, by a peer through autonomous learning, and it could be discrete or organized in structured learning pathways. So in a sense, it, it is empirically a given. The problem, the challenge is at the policy level. I don't think policy have been able to follow hmm. the empirical development of of all those means, pedagogical, technological, new model of organizing a modular, in a modular way, content, et cetera, et cetera. So policies have been running behind and, and enterprise, I feel, are lacking either the knowledge or are kind of lost in the marketplace of, of, of uh, training, digital-based or not. So the, the, it's more at the level of the leadership. Uh, politically and uh, at the enterprise level that I see that the case is not being made, but empirically, it is a reality. That's so interesting because we, we quite often dig around into, you know, whose responsibility is lifelong learning in the sense of individual versus state versus employer um, versus, you know, educational provider. Um, I was just thinking I'd love to hear your perspective on what you're seeing from different countries around the world because, um, here in the UK, that you know, pretty much all of the political parties are working on um, various lifelong learning policies. So whether that's um, you know having a, uh, a sort of lifelong learning wallet uh, or, or sort of personal budget that people can spend on their own learning, or various tax incentives to be set up to encourage lifelong learning, or even things like the universal basic income in the sense of them actually having the capacity to pay the bills and, you know, reskill at a certain point of your life. Um, I just wondered from your top-down perspective, looking at different countries, what are some of the interesting policies that are being discussed um, that you'd like to highlight? Uh, what I see as a really innovative uh, country is China hmm. uh, in terms of integrating in, uh, artificial intelligence within education. They have a really uh, populous country. They have major uh, challenges in, in terms of people. And they, they're progressing a lot in terms of integrating technology and really counting on the cultural shift that a new generation, a, a younger adult, uh, who will be older adult in 20, 30, 40 years, have integrated an app 
culture and application culture. So they're used to just go online mm. through application and all that. And, uh, and we saw recently, a few days ago, UNESCO just published a report about how the Chinese government and education system was able to channel those progress in trying to answer and keep the, the educational uh, system working in, in the, the context of, of the pandemic and the interruption. So I see a lot of interesting uh, technological and pedagogical and, and policymaking development there. What you referred in terms of England about uh, subsidizing or just the, the, the economic contract of financing lifelong learning between uh, uh, the individual, the organization, enterprises, and the government uh, are interesting. Uh, what's complex in that is we're kind of juggling two balls that reflect two basic principles of adult education policies. Is it an individualized, person-based uh, system, or it's a collective organizational answer? Uh, through a learning account, we're pushing the center of gravity towards the individual. individual. But financing organization to retrain the people, hmm. financing community-based group, financing an education system is a collective answer to it. So we have to juggle and really find the center of gravity and the right equilibrium and balances. Because yes, in some part, it's, it's an individual responsibility to train yourself. but if people are not doing it, or if conditions are not created for them to do it, the aggregation of not answering learning needs becomes a social problem. Uh, we, we have a, a fantastic and uh, uh, global example now about health education. Now we're running to train people in basic health education. Um, and we cannot rely on individuals only to do it. It became a collective uh, necessity, and we have to collectively finance it. So those examples, in, in Canada, I find that we're putting a, 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 more the focus on financing structure. Mm -hmm. We don't have a learning account uh, where uh, individual uh, uh, are not, the pressure is not put on an on a individual in a formal way, but it's kind of put in a really indirect way by letting people deal with their needs and, and not answering them through policymaking uh, in general. So what I see is there's two ways you can put the focus on an individual, explicitly calling them to finance part of their training or just doing nothing and letting them deal with their mm. reality and answer their needs by their own way. So that's another solo way to individualize it in a more neoliberal way by letting the market deal with it and, and, and putting the state beside it. Uh, in Europe, I find also at the policy level, uh, policy document in Europe are really interesting. They have a wider perspective. Citizenship education is a focus, for example, and, and the, it's inspirational in a sense. I'm not knowledgeable enough with detail. Is it to, uh, correctly implemented or not? And what, what are the, the fine tuning of mechanism? Uh, but I find at the policy level, part that I know, uh, there's a wider perspective. Uh, maybe in North America, we have kind of a, a practical, uh, mm -hmm. work-related uh, 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 competencies mismatched, skills mismatched. Uh, but we, we're kind of putting, sadly enough, all our eggs in the same basket that the role of the state should be to solve the, the skill mismatch 
and we're forgetting a lot of, of, of different fields. So, uh, and through UIL, UNESCO to me is a major, major source of inspiration at the policy level because by bringing the international community and, and the, the, the adult education community trying to find a, a humanistic consensus about what should be done, uh, that most of the time ends up with the adoption of really inspirational, holistic, comprehensive policymaking document. Uh, after that, it's the implementation challenge and the monitoring challenge that, that comes at the surface. And that's more the moral authority of uh, UNESCO and, and UIL is, is put to use in, in reminding countries that they do, they adopted a, a comprehensive uh, and more holistic vision of adult education and training, and they should, they, they should follow up. I love the um, the healthcare example is, is 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 so good because at the moment, yeah, absolutely, this is happening in in the UK in terms of we're sort of I don't know at this point maybe two weeks behind Italy uh, when we're talking about what's coming down the line um, and the scenarios that will be happening in hospitals. So every hospital is having to sort of scenario plan, you know, for its admin staff, for its uh, anaesthetists, for its um, intensive care staff. And I'm sure, I mean, we've had previously the person responsible for technology and training in the um, NHS on the podcast, and I'm sure technology would be a part of that. It's, it's interesting to think of that happening in every country. And you um, could refer also to the, uh, the Parisian example where you have police officers in the street doing health education, telling people go back home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And having to be agile with that kind of training and those messages and... Um, in your work do you see any other industries which are kind of really ahead in terms of uh, understanding lifelong learning you know structuring it and using vocational technology to 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 kind of its best effect my feeling is that globally uh, enterprise and and different industrial sector do know that they Mm -hmm. have to do it at the conceptual and the volitional level, but it's the resources and the technical. I mean, multinational and big enterprises do have the means to to invest in a staff that would follow up technology, test technology, implement uh, personalized learning environment through their intranet, et cetera, et cetera. It's medium size, medium size, and small businesses that mm. are left uh, left in the wood. Uh, and so we have to, at that point, they, they'll never have the resources to make the transition. It's going to be, it's going to have to be a, a collective or in a sectorial fashion that we're going to be able to pool resources and, uh, and allow those small, uh, uh, small enterprises and medium enterprises and, and to, to be able to make the move. Uh, and that's where individualized, personalized platform could be of some help. Uh, if we train uh, the owners uh, of uh, those small businesses to those platforms, I mean, the, it's like our outsourcing, <laughs> outsourcing your technology and 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 using what's what's there. Mm-hmm. So th- th- they could be a way uh, for them, but it's going to have to be structured by the state or at the sectorial level by 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 a, a, a more collective approach. But I do feel over the board. Depending of uh, also of the, the the pressure, because in the service industry or uh, 
the tourist industry. But even there, we see podcasts, we see different te the technology uh, 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 happening. Uh, right now, we see everybody's putting online the museum, library, artists yeah. are putting more and more online their work. So, so at, in a sense, even them, uh, the high tech industry, they're, they're knowledgeable, they're able, they're, they have the financial means to do the transition and integrate a lot of technology. But I do find the, the weakest part of the chain is uh, small businesses. We, we're going to need a collective answer to help them and individual workers also. And you mentioned before when you were talking about Canada's own approach, um, that it was mostly financial levers that are uh, being operated to support lifelong learning. Could you expand a little bit on exactly what models of finance uh, Canada is looking at? They, per, for example, if, if an enterprise wants to uh, uh, buy a, a new technology, they could be found to finance the training of people to, to get to know how to operate the new technology and integrate it. So it would be really sh uh, surgical kind of investing to sustain uh, and finance the training uh, implied by integrating a new technology. Uh, there's also a, a field of financing community-based group, even in, in, in work-related issues, to try to help uh, people that are far or don't have basic skills or are, are unemployed or, or could be difficultly employed. So there's a lot of, of different organizations uh, in social economy, for example, mm -hmm. that are financed and, and mix the fact that they are businesses. It, it, the people do get a paycheck, but actually they're training platforms. Uh, so those kind of hybrid model, model between, uh, so yeah. there, there's kind of a, and what I saw recently is more and more Canada, like other country would, would really target towards specific population. Uh, universal funding is basically non-existent. They would really target to specific intervention regarding specific population. And in Canada, we have that specificity, like any federation, that it's really complex because of the, the provinces are the main actor in work-related training and education at large, and the federal government has to negotiate. So there, there, there's a, a lot of complexity in the governance of those policies. But one of the models is the federal government is transferring money to the provinces and let them uh, orient yeah. that money uh, toward uh, what they know as priorities. So I would say really targeted financing towards specific person, financing hybrid and innovative kind of community-based group that are able to reach marginalized population and, and adapt their 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 pedagogy to to that specific population. Take time to train them, uh, and uh, I would see those two things and, and uh, as important specificity of the Canadian model. That's very helpful. Thank you. So I've got my next question here. It says, um, I read one of your blogs and this section really caught my eye. It reads, in a sense, adult learning and education policies and thinking must now bridge two different worlds if we do not want to leave hundreds of millions of persons behind. For instance, as we conceptualize and deliver the engineering of personalized learning environments relying on AI, 
1990 Jomtian Declaration on Meeting the Basic Needs of All still resonates with acute urgency. A vertiginous educational gap risks widening the divide between people who lack basic education and those who are not only literate but also autonomous learners operating efficiently in a highly technological educational and learning environment. And I think this is such a massive point. So um, I guess my question in the, in the follow-up, how do we ensure vocational learning technology affords benefits and access to all uh, and bridge the gap that you so well describe in that paragraph? Yeah, we have a, 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 ch- a major change of perspective. I'll talk more about the northern country. Uh, and at the plan- planetary level, the same challenges is there, but uh, between countries is, let's say, in Canada, in South Korea, close to two thirds of the population do have post graduate level of schooling based on OECD um, uh, data. 30, 40 years ago, that was close to half of the population didn't have high school. So in, in 40, 30 years, we kind of, people without high school went from being close to a majority to being a minority, 10, 15%, 17, under 20%. So what was a, 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 an intervention into a mass, a massive intervention in, ter- in terms of getting everybody to get a high school should now be a more surgical and targeted uh, intervention linked to a minority. So that, that's the, the, the background to me of a major shift. Mm. And it's always been the, the mission of adult education to be kind of a second chance uh, education intervention to allow that people who didn't have a basic education to be able to, to get it uh, later on in adult life and, and create a lifelong learning perspective. So what I feel right now is we have all the technological means, digital-based, pedagogical, new models, to answer the needs of everybody. I strongly believe that. If we mobilize all those resources and we put aside the, 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 the market structure of it, the more capitalistic structure of it, we do have the resources to not only answer everybody need, but through personalized learning to really help people who have uh, wider or stronger needs. Uh, and through UNESCO, we see work uh, uh, every year in, in January, there's the Mobile Learning Week, and mm. there's a lot of documentation published by UNESCO. And we see that uh, even in, in Africa, where level of illiteracy is really high, technology is used, phone, tablets, and all that, uh, different app to learn, not only uh, the official language, but the technology allows people to learn their own dialect, their mother tongue. So that's my strong feeling that we it's at the political will because we have the resources. For example, we have the pedagogical model through personalized. Uh, We could create a learning management system and just in open source and mobilize resources everywhere and try to answer everybody. And that's part of what could be due, like I I referred earlier, what could be due regarding small businesses. Mobilizing existing resources using pedagogical model that we do have. So we don't have to create the answer. We have to mobilize the pieces of the puzzle that we do have. And this is interesting because, you know, before we were recording, uh, we had a conversation about this in, in the context of coronavirus at the moment and the fact that 
what we're seeing is a lot of the uh, opportunity to learn um, and continue learning is there. So the technology is there, but it's like you said, uh, bringing these things together in a coherent way. Um, but things are happening that we just didn't think would be possible. Like you, you just explained that in, in Canada, you know, whole year groups are, are finishing and will sort of move up to the next year as of sort of today or, or very recently. So um, yeah, it, it sort of makes you realize in, in the in the certain circumstances, absolutely unthinkable things can happen. And it makes us rediscover the state. We could be critical about the state and, and it's justified, but ultimately the state is an, an insurance policy. <laughs> when mm-hmm. we do need to be together and when we do need to go beyond individual like uh, reflexes, the state is there and it's a tool, it's a resource. So it's the embodiment of a collective political uh, uh, will. So, and we have an example there. And it's interesting that we see a lot of people are referring, if we, if, if, if we were answering the, the climate crisis urgency with the same will, mm. a problem will be solved. And through that, there's a lot of education and learning. And I've been in the past uh, few days monitoring the reference to digital learning or online learning as, as a solution. Uh, and we see two, two, I see two kinds of answer. The market, the actor of the market prof- uh, using the, the opportunity to get themselves known and offering mm. rebate or whatever. Uh, and the other side, a lot of teachers who are paid staying at home are kind of putting resources, list of open source resources, et cetera, et cetera, uh, on, on, online. So we, we kind of see that resources are there. there you see there the, the example of the two approaches, a more collective one, open source, free, et cetera, done by the, uh, the teacher and education agent, and the industrial part, the market part. But and, and at the juncture of those two, and we'll see probably next week and in, a, in the next uh, in one or two weeks, institutions, university, college, high school, and all that they, they're gonna have to answer the disruption of the of their services, and and, and there we'll, we'll be able to see the 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 I was about to say the fight or the tension between mm. a collective-based approach and a more market-oriented approach. And hopefully a synthesis and a kind of a, a middle-of-the-ground uh, uh, strategy will come up. But if we do find a middle-of-the-ground strategy, it's because the state going to get into the debate as the arbiter in, in chief. <laughs> <laughs> right. Since your time and post at the Lifelong Learning Institute, what research or insights have transpired which help us understand how vocational technology has a role in wider adult education skills development? So I suppose you've got two fascinating jobs and probably many more things on the side as well. Um, so what, what kind of research and insights have, have come out of, of, of those experiences that you hold? I've been a, a, an avid reader of UNESCO's work for, for 20 plus years because I do find that the quality of the research, the, the expertise of the researcher, but also compared to a university-based research, they are at the juncture of states and, and ministry education reflection. So they're, they're kind of, they're informed by, uh, by uh, behind the scene thinking uh, mm. within ministry. So that's really interesting. And, my mandate started last January uh, officially as UIL chair, 
but what in the short term, what I see two initiatives that are major and are widely encompass widely the field of adult learning, but have consequences also for for work based and vocational learning. The first one is uh, last autumn, UNESCO launched an international commission on the futures, in plural, of education. And they put the bar at 2050. So they really, through that initiati initiative, they're channeling all the, the brain trusts of UNESCO and their partners around the world in thinking, given where we are, given the challenges that we're facing, uh, how what's going to be the education field in 2050? Uh, so, and, and we're starting, they had the first meeting in January and we're starting to see papers uh, being published. And in those documents, we see a level of uh, not only exploratory and utopian kind of a vision of education, but also based on what we have now, if we just pushed it a few decades, uh, uh, what's going to be the field of education? So to me, that's a, ma a major source and it's a multidisciplinary uh, action. And UIL is supposed, I mean, as planned in June, a two days expert meeting, uh, interdisciplinary expert meeting to, to dig into that topic. Maybe like everything else, it's going to be postponed. Uh, the other one is... Uh, a last spring in China, there was a, an international conference uh, held by UNESCO on inter, uh, artificial intelligence and education. And I, I see in that topic, it's not, not the technological dimension that interests me more. It's really how a, an educational model is being redefined, uh, a, an understanding of the actors, uh, the educational agents, not only the educator, the programmer, uh, the technological pedagogue. So there's a new field, new uh, function uh, within the uh, educational uh, community that appears through that reflection of the integration of artificial intelligence and in, mm -hmm. in, in education. And uh, we see a remodeling of a, a comprehensive vision and policies of education through that technical topic of, of uh, hardware, software, and programmation. But that's not the dimension that interests me and, and, and UNESCO has, at, at, at the core of its mission, the, a humanist vision. So what's really interesting, it's the mingling, the confrontation of the humanist vision and aspiration of UNESCO and those new models of artificial intelligence in education. And that really specific and important question, is it a, an individualized model, every learner along from of their screen in a personalized their pathways? and or there's a collective aspect through it. And we see a bit of, of that in peer-to-peer -peer learning online. And mm -hmm. the, the, there's a basic question. And, and probably what's interesting in, in those fields is the answer is always the engineering uh, of uh, uh, um, educational ecosystem. So it, it would be a mix of both and a distribution of, of both. So those two things, the international UNESCO International Commission on the Futures of Education and the uh, work on uh, artificial intelligence and education are two, two current, uh, recent current, recent uh, current within the work of UNESCO that to me are, are, are fostering uh, a, a, a taking stock of what's happening, but also just giving perspective for, for the next decades. Um, so final question. Uh, what are the people, projects, books, podcasts, or other things which you enjoy and go back to for inspiration? It's not a, a 
academic uh, source, but I do a, a daily Twitter monitoring on, on different hashtags, digital learning, uh, micro-learning, micro-credential, instructional design, learning design, virtual tutors, learning management system, AI and education. And, and that keeps me up to date with new researchers, publication practice, practices, and, and uh, educational offer. And it's interesting because Twitter is reacting at, at, at a daily time span. So it's a way mm. to really get in touch because those new fields are partly, partially, but not totally mainstream within academic research. So if you want to know what's happening and, and, and it's through Twitter to me that, that I see that. Also, recently, uh, I've been digging into more into learning management system models, and, and I'm not really interested in the technical part of it, technological part of it, but I do feel that within those learning management systems, there's a more comprehensive model of adult learning and, and different actors and putting t- together different resources, different medium, uh, from micro-learning to personalized uh, long-term pathways. Mm-hmm. And I feel in the vocabulary and at the, the conceptualization of those platforms, we might have the new paradigm of adult education policies. We could generalize that model at a policy level, at a state level, and say kind of a, as a metaphor that uh, a new generation of adult learning policy should be for, for, for the state to create a learning management system at a, at a population level uh, and, or, and refer to and inspired, being inspired by the conceptual uh, creation of learning management systems. So to me, those... Uh, the, the, through Twitter and through some readings, I, I dig into that because I feel that there's something there that's more a cause, a, a paradigm shift that we see in adult education learning policies and system-wide approach. And outside of lifelong learning conversations, how do you relax as well? How do you switch off? Uh, I'm not good at that <laughs> at a personal level because... I mean, I'm one of those lucky person where the job is an interest and a personal interest and, and a passion. Uh, so those are always mixing. But I mean, uh, sports, uh, jogging, uh, and uh, more re- reading in history reading, the history of, of Quebec, for example. Mm. Uh, I read a lot of the history of Quebec because it's interesting. Quebecers, if you allow me, have a unique experience because as Francophone, they are a majority in their provinces, but a minority uh, within Canada as Francophone or and across the world. So they have that two experiences. So reading the history of Quebec, it's in the past, we're a young country compared to to uh, to England, but through uh, the 300, 500 year, years of history, it's that project of a minority becoming a majority and living both both part of their identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I like that more as a it's part of where I live, but also the experience, the human experience through that, through the the the, the policies, the political debates, more as a, a cultural experience and. Strangely enough, it's a lens that's interesting to, to work with at the UNESCO level because that, that makes us, uh, make, makes Quebecer uh, sensitive to a majority um, perspective, but also a minority perspective on different issues. So reading history uh, is, is part of, uh, actually reading is part of my life across the board as professional and, and, and also at personal and leisure time. 
And as we record this, are you able to kind of uh, go out and about or are you having to stay at home at the moment? Yeah, we're barking down. We, we, we've yeah. been asked to stay home for two weeks. The, the, we're, we're the first week of it and only to go out to buy food. And, and But what, since it, it came from from Asia and moved uh, west, we had time to prepare. So action zero or more at the before the the wave of it so we're we're locking us down we're being asked to lock us down and and uh, to prevent what happened uh-huh. in italy example or in, in some provinces of china in asia uh so uh, but it's it's a strange experience <laughs> like that uh, after that thing if in a few months it'd be interesting for across the world for people to just uh, exchange about the experience but staying at home at least our small organization is in the cloud so we're, we're we were functional in 24-hour notice to to just work at home and and keep going with going on with our work uh, so that that we passed the test like i said to, yeah, to my yeah. colleagues that was a, a really intense test and we were able to pull the, the physical plug and go online within a short notice and we we've been successful actually <laughs> Well, all, all, all uh, extra time to do that reading that you love so much as well. Yeah, well, I have, a, I have a lot of time to catch up UNESCO's work that I haven't done to time to read recently. So uh, probably like a, a lot of us, we'll be more knowledgeable <laughs> and cultured after that. <laughs> Well, um, Danielle, thank you so much for your time today. It's so interesting. And I loved uh, thinking more deeply about the sort of individual versus collective models. So it's been uh, really fascinating to talk to you. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening in and sending your listener voicemails in. UFI Voctech Trust for supporting and Danielle Boreal for being such a fantastic guest. With all you are juggling this week, make sure you take some time out where you can and do let us know how the EdTech podcast can best support you whilst everything is up in the air. We have some things in development and want to be a useful presence during this time. That's it for now. Have a great week where you can. Bye bye.